I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program is being brought to you by Farmer's Edge and features a diverse group of precision experts sharing individual and collective insights gathered during roundtable discussions at the 2017 Precision Farming Dealer Summit. And a reminder to join us at the just announced 2018 Precision Farming Dealer Summit taking place on January 8th and 9th at the Galt House in Louisville, Kentucky. Stay tuned for agenda and speaker updates on PrecisionSummit.com. If you're tuning in for the first time today, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And by subscribing, you'll be able to go back and review prior episodes and get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Putting on a successful precision egg field day, effective strategies for selling data management service and Best practices for bundling precision support are common objectives that connect precision farming dealers. Having a forum to question, debate, and perhaps even vent about points of pain can be both therapeutic and educational for dealers. With a common goal of better serving customers, being able to pick the brains of peers in an informal setting is a unique learning environment. This year's Precision Farming Dealers Summit featured 14 different dealer roundtables moderated by a diverse group of precision insiders who diligently took note of the most valuable talking points discussed during their respective sessions. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, these precision experts share the top takeaways and advice from their roundtable conversations at the summit. My name is Jamie Paquin with Reichart Electronic Innovations from Sabin, Minnesota. And just to share with you about our group, we had uh, about 25 people in our group and some traveling as far away from Australia, so it was exciting to have those visitors. Our topic was uh, aftermarket opportunities. And the number three takeaway probably is relative to supporting third-party hardware and you know how do we how do we deal with this challenge and the consensus was that uh, events like this are perfect opportunities to network and build those relationships and you have to maintain those relationships even if they're with a, a competitor in order to have the provide the solution to the customer so relationships 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 number two was we spent a fair amount of time discussing time management which was a a good dovetail from Arlen's presentation earlier. And the takeaway from the time management is really investing in seeking out quality customers over, over volume. There's always the 80-20 rule. 
80% of our business comes from 20% of our customers. And put your focus on that. That was the takeaway. Interesting how that dovetails in with aftermarket, but that leads to that retention of the customer and it leads to those sales. And number one, where we spent a great deal of time talking about optimization packages. And the key word is proactive optimization packages. Essentially, the takeaway was that that can be an aftermarket product in itself, selling that service. Um, it may not be a, a line item. It'll be a line item product the first time, maybe at um, discounted, but year two, year three, year four, it becomes a revenue generator that absolutely retains that customer and leads to future sales. I'm Terry Johnston. Uh, I'm with HTS Ag. Um, I work with uh, Arlen Swanson, and um, we were talking about peer groups and networking. Um, boiling it down to three things might be a bit of a, of a stretch. Just you saw Arlen talk for an hour and didn't get it all covered, but um, we had some great discussion. We had a diversified group too. There was about 18 of us, US and uh, Canada and uh, Australia. Diversification amongst the groups of different types of dealers uh, and uh, some folks in education. And so we, we, we talked about some of the things that are currently going on that some of the folks are using now, not necessarily in a formal peer group, uh, but some of the things these dealerships have done on their own is to do a regional networking uh, session uh, each year, even with the dealers that are around them uh, that happen to be their competitors, but there's still a, a way to have friendly ID exchange. So that's an opportunity that these folks have capitalized on, learn, uh, realizing they can still learn from one another, even though they may be somewhat competitive. Some of the folks from Australia were, were reaching out to dealers in the United States to exchange and learn information from, and um, also some of the, some of the vendors um, that these folks are working with, get them together in management groups annually to uh, talk about their businesses, their operations, um, uh, ways to improve customer service, profitability, a lot of good exchange there. I, I think one of the things that we've seen uh, working within our own peer groups uh, is just the power of idea exchange. Uh, we even got off, got off on a little se segue about um, service service and how do, how do you charge for it, especially on the precision egg side of things when um, it's uh, uh, sometimes assumed that it, it's going to be free. Um, and so just the power of idea exchange within a pair group or a network uh, is very powerful. There's a lot that we can um, learn from each other and also uh, a power of a group of dealers can get the vendor's attention. Maybe as an individual, we, we uh, may not have a lot of say, but if you have 12 or 14 individuals in a room uh, that may have multiple locations, you can get the attention of the vendors and get some help with um, either training or product support those kinds of things. So um, we, we had a great discussion and, and um, definitely uh, discovered the power of peer groups uh, within our uh, group of folks. Hi, I'm Ann Salemo. I'm CEO of Charter Software. We do business management systems for equipment dealers. And our topic was, does my precision ag business need to have a CRM? And uh, it was interesting, um, really no one in the whole room had a CRM, and there were probably 15. Three of us were business system vendors in there um, who talked a, a good deal about uh, CRM while we were in the group. But the three things that we came away with, no matter what size business you are, uh, CRM is the first step. It's a requirement. You're never too small. So one gentleman said something like, well, I'm the only person. And I said, well, eventually you'll turn 40 and you're not going to remember what you talk to the customer about. So a CRM is where you do that. So, um, and that the key to a CRM is to show everyone that it's easier to do business with you because everyone 
has visibility. So the second thing was the biggest issue with a CRM is consistent use. And so we talked about processes that you need to create and, ha and have accountability for, and that 100% of the dealership's employees need to be involved in the CRM. It's not a sales thing. It's not a precision ag thing. It's 100% of the employees. Garbage in, garbage out. The third thing is, if you have a business system that's in the industry, um, it most likely has CRM functionality. So that was kind of the first thing that you should look at. Otherwise, you should be, if your business system doesn't have CRM functionality, you should find a way to connect a CRM system to your business system and make sure that that connection is live and updatable um, through something called an API. We talked a bit about that. We also talked about how all of the business that your people are doing through texting, emails, and everything needs to be logged. And so mobile use is an absolute requirement if you have a CRM because talk to text is prevalent on any type of mobile device. And so your precision ag people, sales people, and field people can use talk to text to log their conversations without having to type. Uh, which makes it a lot easier. Two of the small mini things we learned about was that you could prospect by getting an EDA list or a UCC filing list, which we found out you can't do in Australia or Canada. And so those guys were, uh, the guy from down under, Tim, I think his name was, he was pretty green with jealousy about being able to get those UCC lists as prospecting list. And then one of the other last things that was brought up is it's always good to look at as is, like what is your system and how your processes look today, and what do you want it to be. So as is to be was brought up by Garrett from Equip IQ, which I thought was great because it's about how to get from where you are to where you want to be. Uh, thank you, Anne. Our topic was making decisions through uh, or managing through the difficult times. And uh, we had a very diverse group of dealers, uh, carried all product lines, all major product lines, and from different parts of North America. And in our discussion, it was you know, very evident that we had to look at this from a segmented uh, point of view. The consensus of our group that small egg and precision egg is either up over last year and the year before or um, similar sales to the previous year. However, the concern was in big ag, and um, that was also noticed kind of on a regional basis as well, where maybe the hurt that uh, some of the dealers were facing uh, on their cash flow in big ag, because they used inventory, uh, some areas of North America had gone through it and felt that they had turned the corner, whereas in other parts, uh, like the area we're in right now, uh, maybe we're just into the middle of it. There's been some economists out there that have said that the sense is that the ag industry won't turn around completely till like uh, 2011, 2012, or 13 numbers until the end of 2017. Uh, that wasn't the consensus of our group. Our group was thinking that the rebound was going to take uh, a little bit longer uh, than that. So some of the lessons learned over the, over the past couple of years, uh, starting with sales, obviously uh, some of the group wished that uh, they didn't take some of the deals that they did take. Maybe a little bit more picky, especially on some of the large multiple deals, and perhaps some of those deals were taken to satisfy the manufacturer's concern uh, on market share. And um, with the inventory levels increasing at some dealerships, you know, some looked at uh, what's the best strategy to liquidate our used equipment? Uh, do, we, do we have uh, a blowout through an auction or do we hold it? Uh, one dealer shared, you know, it was a tough decision. 
that they had to make. They were prepared to blow out their inventory and uh, they held on in the end just the way the market conditions and the weather turned out in their region. The smart decision was to hang on to their used equipment as opposed to, to blow it out. They made out fairly well with it. With the sales uh, slowdown, especially in the big ag, conventional wisdom is that your parts and service sales should go up. But the fact of the matter is uh, the good equipment, the new equipment that's been sold, it's just taking more time to wear down. So expecting an increase in your service and your parts uh, because your whole good sales have gone down um, is not realistic and it'll take some time to get to that point, which um, the lesson learned was not lose sight of um, the importance of margins you make on service and parts and don't automatically assume uh, that your sales are going to go up in those areas because whole goods sales are down. And with the service department, a lesson learned was that there needs to be more integration between the service department and the precision ag salespeople or precision ag uh, department uh, within the dealership. Also during a downturn, is that, that the right time to make an investment? Uh, we discussed that a little bit. The consensus was uh, if you're in this business long term, an investment in facility would be a good decision, but perhaps investing in another product line uh, might not be the best time to do that, and uh, it all depends on the capability and the ability that you have with your staff. So the consensus was maybe taking on another product line just to have something else to sell when business is slow would not be a good idea. Bottom line, uh, lessons learned coming out of our group, watch your trades, watch your cash flow, and certainly pay attention to interest rates, which affects uh, every level of the, uh, of the industry. And, and thank you to my group for, uh, for their candid comments, their opinions, and their willingness to engage in this discussion. My name is Andy Thompson with Yetter Manufacturing, and uh, we had about 20 people in our uh, uh, room discussing putting on a successful Precision Ag Field Day. We first of all discussed the difficult issues of the, putting on a uh, successful Precision Ag Field Day, getting the people there and, and the time to, for people to, to attend. So how do we overcome that? Uh, of course, you know, food, beer, Things like that always gets people there, but uh, to some extent anyway. But uh, really, we ultimately, uh, it seems like it really depends on uh, showing people that what they're going to benefit from attending. Why should they come there? We have so many field days, um, uh, whether it be uh, just for the precision equipment or uh, tillage or whatever it may be, so they just kind of get watered down. So really, uh, the number one takeaway from that was uh, showing people what they were going to uh, gain by, by being there. Uh, the Precision Ag field days, uh, oftentimes they were tied with other field days, not just showing off the, uh, the equipment for Precision Ag, but uh, a lot of times we, we couple those with tillage, uh, planting, um, et cetera. Um, so in general, uh, the purpose of the Precision Ag field days, a lot of times was just to show people what we can do. Uh, but more specifically, uh, we had a few people that uh, talked about how we got more specific uh, with, uh, again, showing them how they were going to benefit, and that helped make their uh, Precision Ag field days more successful. Uh, the, really, the most successful Precision Ag field days, they were centered around agronomics. This isn't, uh, I, I think, personally, this is not just uh, precision ag field days, but in general, uh, tying everything back to the agronomics. It's, it's not about the iron, it's not about the hardware, the software, uh, it goes back to the agronomics and showing them the potential issues 
um, how to diagnose those problems, and then how to fix those problems. And if we can do that, if we can bring them in and actually show them those things, tied back the agronomics, then the product's going to sell itself. That kind of held true with, with iron or with the precision ag stuff. It seems though it's difficult to gauge the success of precision ag field days. Uh, it's not just at the end of the day how much um, equipment did we sell. Really, we're trying to help build and uh, cement the relationships with the customers. Precision Ag touches so many other parts of our business, uh, the direct iron sales and so on. It's so important and it drives the customer's buying decisions in many cases. Really, it's essential to take full advantage of the Precision Ag offerings, tying that back and, and really the, uh, tying it back to the agronomics and then uh, coupling that in with uh, the other equipment sales and so on. I'm Don Lamker with uh, Farmer's Edge, and uh, my group was uh, the tips and tricks for offering uh, ag data services. Uh, we had about 50 that were, that were in the group, pretty diverse group, but uh, the thing that uh, everybody wanted to talk about first was uh, that, that came up was uh, how do you get paid for your time? Whether it was a consultant in the group or equipment dealer that was offering some sort of services, the majority of the group—I think there were five in, out of the 50—that that felt that they were getting uh, getting enough money, but uh, the majority felt that it was an issue, I guess, being able to get get enough uh, income for the the services that were being provided. And then there's a lot of discussion around how to charge for the services being being provided, and there was a lot of variety in in how that was done. Some on a per acre basis, some on a straight hourly, uh, hourly basis. Others were uh, basically eating that cost or, or having the cost fit into the, uh, the sale of a piece of equipment. Uh, so, so those were some of the ways that that was handled. Now, as far as what services were being, were being discussed, most were around, were offering agronomy type services. And there were some differences as far as what packages and what types of agronomy services, but, but most of it was around uh, you know, soil uh, fertility, uh, yield monitors, making yield maps, that, that sort of thing. The, the other thing that came out of that is an important thing is making sure that, uh, that we have good data so that we can talk to the farmer about what the benefit of the services that they were getting was, that, that you can actually show up, you know, it either worked or it didn't work, and you can have that type of discussion. And in order to have that discussion, you have to have clean data and good data, reliable data, in order to have that conversation with the grower. All right, I'm Melissa Heisey, and we're Swiderski Equipment um, from Wisconsin, and I moderated the UAV session, and um, we all pretty much agreed UAV's drone technology really took off in the market three years ago. But there's been a lot of changes and a lot of challenges with that. Um, obviously, when they first hit, regulations were uncertain, and we've seen a lot of changes with regulations and requirements. Um, so it's important that if you are in that market, you stay up to date on that and, and help your customer stay up to date on that as well. We talked how quickly that technology changes. It's changing as fast as, as new things New things come out and it changes the next day, so it's tough. Um, one of the biggest things though is it's not just having a UAV or drone, it's really proving to the customer the return. Great, now they have something to fly and take some cool pictures and get some maps, but what do they do with it then? And so it depends on each organization, I guess. We talked about some of the organizations who have you know, agronomists on staff who can actually give true consultative information on what this means you know, to the producer or grower versus those who, you know, as an equipment dealer, that's tough for us. We're not gonna give that specific information and tell you exactly um, what it means. You know, we, we can give you the possible, maybe, could be type of thing. So it's tough um, to prove that return and value as, as a drone um, dealer. 
We also talked about um, looking at other options to partner with organizations. We talked about that a lot. Is that more feasible that you know you find a seed dealer? Seed dealers seem to really show the biggest interest, it seems. Not sure if that's driven from you know higher higher the corporate level or um, just you know at a dealer perspective but you know does it make sense to partner with them to offer more services and go beyond the whole bottom line comes down to how do how do drones and UAVs become a profitable um, sustainable revenue source for the dealer and it's tough because you have to again show the value and go beyond just the product itself so one of the keys though we talked about um, we, we don't think it's a dead issue we think it's just beginning obviously you know we'll see a lot of changes but the key is to really understand what do you want out of it what information do you want to get and what do you want to do with that information and whether that's you as the dealer or working with your customer to figure that out that's where it becomes an actual value um, to you and your customer so if nothing else our final comments were that drones can be fun just as a dealership it's a marketing tool you can shoot some really cool video and your customers really do believe you're on the leading edge when you're on you know the front end of technology like that so a lot of positives We'll be right back to the program and hear more from the remaining moderators, but I did want to again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm, Smart Solution, will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow the opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from the roundtable moderators on better advice for selling RTK subscriptions, succession planning, in a precision farming business and autonomy in ag. What role will dealers play? My name is Matt Miller. I'm with uh, Butler Machinery Company, and uh, I was moderating the probing the moisture sensor and water management market. And uh, we had about 10 people in our group or so. Most of the people in our group uh, have have dabbled in this to to some extent. So some of the takeaways that we got uh, through our discussions were uh, when trying to delve into this market, if if you're not in it before um, now, to just know your customers, the possible. Um, customers that are out there that, that would uh, be willing to be maybe an innovator, uh, an early adapter to this type of technology to seek them out. There's, there's possible subsidies out there that they may or may not know about. And uh, you know, if we're informed about that uh, and know that, it's a, it's a good market to go after with some additional monies there as well. Uh, another point is to just be proactive in working with the customers. You know, there's, there's regulation out there, as there is with a lot of things, but uh, seems to be um, coming down the pipeline if it hasn't already to a lot of customers. So um, just, just knowing those and uh, being aware of them, but also working and be, being willing to, uh, to be a face in front of that customer. And, uh, you know, lastly, just be willing to, to stick your neck out there a little bit and, uh, and maybe uh, get in situations where you're not completely comfortable with. 
um, finding solutions for those for those customers that uh, maybe one-off things. You know, looking at other markets too, not just the the farming sector, but you know maybe at country clubs or uh, or other landscaping opportunities that that may be out there that aren't aren't huge sectors, but would be possible revenue incomes. Um, morning. So I'm Zach Ward from Fox Valley Technical College. I'm the Precision Ag instructor there at the college for a Precision Ag certificate. Our discussion was all about how do you find a new Precision Ag hire. And it was an interesting discussion and found out that everyone's favorite thing to do is hire new employees. So to kind of sum up our discussion in kind of three key points is what I got from it, and I hope everyone kind of agrees that the key things that we're looking for employees are a lot of the soft skills. They have to be able to talk to people. They have to be able to work hard. They got to have a good head on their shoulders. Not so much on the technical side, because it sounds like no matter what, everyone has about a three-year training after you hire that new employee. And kind of some ways to address those soft skills, because they're really hard to pick up and find out during a 30-minute or one-hour interview or whatever you put that candidate through or you put yourself through. Some of the people that were in our group said that they're starting to use personality tests. And there's many, many personality tests out there, but they're actually putting their new hires or candidates through a personality test, which kind of helps identify those soft skills and those different traits that that person possesses. So that's kind of one way to look at those work ethics and look at those soft skills in bedside manner, as it was called. Uh, second off was the use of identifying these candidates early whether it be high school or even middle school now, but or the farmer's sons, daughters, as you go out there doing your normal sales calls. You find them early, kind of help coach them through, give them job shadow experience with you or your company, um, help them out with internships, and then further that on to help them go to college kind of in the direction of your choosing so that you can kind of mold and shape them into the type of person that you want them. So a few people have said that that was a very big success, going to the high schools, being involved in the community, and approaching these potential can't, or employees at a younger age. Uh, finally, and this kind of comes from uh, the different members at our round table and myself, coming from the ag side, because like I, I got questioned, why is there not too many precision ag programs out there? Um, why is it so hard to find good students coming out of college that have exactly what you want, which I hate to break it to you, I will never give you exactly what you want. And the biggest reason is there's not a calling or a demand from everyone in this room and all the precision ag industry to the schools saying, this is what we want. We want a precision ag technician that knows these skills, that can do this, that has these qualifications, these traits, and these characteristics. So my uh, final comment to you is, if you really want good quality new hires coming from a university, coming from a tech school, you need to be involved with that university and tech school and tell them, this is what I want. You need to talk to them, say, I want these qualities, I want them to know this, I want them to be able to do this, and be involved with that school, and then that school will do its best to provide you with those candidates. All right, uh, my name's Tim Norris, I'm with Ag InfoTech in uh, Mount Vernon, Ohio. And we had, uh, our topic was uh, succession. 
and we had several people in that room. We had, I don't know, 25 to 30 people. Uh, we had people that were um, in companies that were family-owned um, to uh, maybe two or three employees, to companies that were huge businesses that had several hundred employees in the company. So we had a lot of diversity there. We had owners there, we had managers there, and we also had people there that uh, were hoping someday to uh, transition into an ownership or management role within the company. When we talked about succession plans, a couple of the things that we thought uh, were key or very important, and one of those was it's uncomfortable to talk about, and we need to be uh, cognizant of that. Sometimes um, when we start to talk about succession plans, whether it's with our families or with our employees, a lot of times people don't want to think about the possibility of you dying or even the possibility of something happening to them uh, or the fact that you want to get out of business at some point. So we said uh, it is something that's uncomfortable. It's very important that you keep it positive because succession planning and a plan that's uh, very well done and implemented can add a lot of positives to your organization. It adds security to the employees, it adds security to your family to where if they know that something does happen or if you are thinking about getting out of the business that the business can go on. And it also adds security to your customers if they know that your business can go on after you're uh, out as well. Um, we thought it was very important that you have a third party, um, some type of trusted advisor that really doesn't have a connection to your business, um, that they can look at it unbiased. Have them help you uh, with that plan and help you implement it. Um, we also decided that after listening to Arlen yesterday that we're truly the lid on our business. And when we're trying to find a successor for our business, we really ought to be looking to somebody that can kind of help expand that lid and help our business uh, basically just blow through that ceiling that we've put on there as an owner. So when you're trying to look for somebody to take the reins over, try to find someone that can really help your business go to the next level. Um, we also thought it would be very important for you and your key uh, personnel to try to have three to five people listed um, as a recommended replacement for their job. So if something does happen to them or if they just move up, there's three to five people that they're thinking of taking their place or taking your place. Uh, one of the other things that we, we thought, uh, there's three things that we kind of thought were really critical and that's communication. Make sure you communicate the, the plan well. Make sure your plan is transparent and you're as transparent as you can be with your uh, customers, with your employees about what, what that plan is. And it needs to start from the top down and really be communicated very well. And then we also kind of decided that uh, it's not just about ownership, but it's about the knowledge base that your company has. You need to have some type of plan in place to transfer the knowledge that you have, that your key employees have, so if something happens, that knowledge can transition as well as ownership of the business. And then uh, someone said that uh, the Navy SEALs had this motto that we don't rise to the occasion, we fall to our training. So make sure that you train your team to be able to go on without you because they fall to the training, they're not going to rise to the occasion. G'day. Uh, I'm Michael Hadley from uh, Riverton in South Australia. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you all for welcoming the Ramsey Brothers group from Australia. It's been a great experience for us all um, and been very welcoming. And thanks for the opportunity to be a moderator as well. Um, our roundtable discussion was about uh, better advice for selling RTK subscription. We had a, a really good group. We had about 10 to 12 blokes in there. Um, with a mix of land base and 
cellular network providers. We discussed a lot of the uh, data plans and tiered pricing and the pros and cons between land base and cellular. With land base, you, you get better margin. Cellular costs you less, um, less downtime, but can be a third party involved, which can cause issues as well. One of the main issues that I noticed with our discussion is the market in some, for some of the blokes is a very saturated market. So it's quite hard to uh, you know, get more customers on your RTK network when they're already on it with another company or if they're, you know, there's just so, so much active competition out there. One of the main things that we really found was probably that uh, one of the best ways to uh, expand your RTK subscription is with new machinery sales, whether it be tractor or boom sprays. That was probably the main thing that I took out of the whole group. That, that's the easiest way to do it, especially with a saturated market. With a, a market when you're starting your own network, um, it's, it's a lot to do with planning, uh, doing demos, uh, actively targeting customers, and just making a good solid plan to bring more customers onto your network and to make it a viable network. Morning. My name is John Marshall. I'm with Wade Incorporated from uh, Greenwood, Mississippi. Uh, I'm moderating Bridging the Hardware Gap, uh, Adding Agronomy Services. Uh, we had a rather large group. It was about 25 to 30 of us in the group. Started off by polling the group and asking how many had uh, agronomists in their staff currently. Probably about 20% uh, of the group uh, already had agronomists on staff. Uh, of course, everyone else was there trying to figure out why they had them and what, what the purpose of having agronomists was or, or was leaning towards adding them themselves. Some of the takeaways that I've got was your agronomist could be an independent, unbiased consultant. They were there uh, supporting what you sold. So we've sold the precision equipment, we've sold the variable rate technology, but nobody was actually putting that to use. So we're, we're taking the, uh, our basically unbiased opinions and helping them uh, create uh, solutions to uh, uh, support the products they already had purchased from us. For those that were John Deere dealers, they said it was a check in the box. So y'all know what that means. You know, uh, John Deere has a rule, so like I said, uh, to, to meet some requirements, uh, that was a check in the box for them. Once they got them on board, now they're looking for a way to make them pay for, uh, pay for themselves. Your agronomist is, is there to tie everything together. Uh, he's there to make you the, the authority in everything you sell. If you're selling a variable rate planner, if you're selling uh, a combine, uh, he's there to uh, show the purpose of, uh, of adding a wider t uh, cast tailboard out the back. So we're seeing a lot of information about that now coming out uh, to match the header width of getting 45 foot heads. Now you need to match the tailings to match it. So uh, getting the total solutions uh, that you can offer to your customers to make yourself a better dealer. And the last takeaway that when you bring an agronomist on board, that uh, you can expect at least two years before your agronomist uh, will be up to speed to what you're looking for him to do. So even if you go out and try to and bring in somebody with years of experience, you've got to train him to the direction you want to go. So uh, it's not going to be an instant success just by bringing one on board that you've got to give it time. I'm Seth Conway with Monroe Tractor out of Batavia, New York. 
I moderated the uh, autonomy in ag. I uh, had about, uh, oh, 10, 12 people, I guess, and uh, had a pretty good discussion. Um, three takeaways we had were uh, everybody's opinion on autonomy uh, changed a little bit after last night's discussion. First and foremost, uh, the original thought process was it was more based on driverless vehicles, uh, but then semi-driverless and then self-propelled implements came in uh, in the discussion last night. So, uh, as well as we had somebody else say that uh, you know automation or autonomy has been around since the uh, the adoption of the rate controller. So there will be the uh, two main challenges, I guess, will be the adoption rate and how fast this technology will evolve. There's some opinions that were uh, it's not necessarily going to be an issue for us straight away. Uh, the video game generation, millennials, whatever you want to call them, uh, they will adopt it a little bit sooner. And I, I, I guess I challenge that a little bit in the fact that I've, I'm 40 years old. I'm a video game player. So I, I, I don't know if that just makes me old, old and dumb or what. Um, but, uh, but on the same token, customers, you know, I'm sure all of you guys have had the, the, the phone call like, you know what, the button on my joystick is not working, and I actually have to reach up and press the button on the monitor, and I don't want to do that. So, <clears throat> you know, these, these will be certain things that will push the adoption uh, into autonomy uh, a little bit faster. OEMs, uh, the kind of the consensus at the table, the OEMs are not necessarily going to be the ones that are pushing this. Uh, even though that we've seen the vehicle from Case IH, we've seen a vehicle from uh, John Deere, uh, they're more apt to wait uh, for an aftermarket company to kind of uh, prove the technology and then kind of gobble them up and maybe that's what they've done with their vehicles now. Uh, we may very well see some uh, uh, non-traditional agricultural companies come into play. Uh, the example was brought up of the uh, hum technology from Verizon uh, getting into the automation or the uh, automotive uh, industry uh, monitoring uh, your vehicles. I like this quote. Uh, somebody said that simplicity will uh, replace efficiency. And that led into a discussion about ISOBUS and, and everybody's concerned this morning about ISOBUS uh, that communication uh, between these vehicles uh, should surpass, uh, should become more streamlined and surpass the need for ISOBUS. So maybe we won't even have to worry about ISOBUS. And then the biggest hang-ups are going to be that uh, uh, legislation uh, affordability and then liability. Um, you know, with oil prices the way they are, uh, someone brought up uh, the amounts of oil that people are finding and, and finding new ways to generate. Uh, maybe we won't see uh, electricity uh, come into the ag realm uh, that fast. Uh, but more or less, how is it going to affect us? You know, we're going to adapt uh, to all the challenges that come up. We always do. It may not necessarily be our problem right this second, but we, we, we better train for it uh, for the future of our companies. My name is Chris Hannum with Equip IQ. We uh, had a great session. I want to thank everybody who was part of that. We had a big group. We had probably 60, 80 people. It was, it was a lot of people. Um, but thank you for, for everybody's participation. I thought it was a, an excellent roundtable. The title of our roundtable was Bundling Services, what to include and how to price it. As you can imagine, there are a lot of different ideas, different perspectives on it. Think about from a bundling standpoint, a lot of it had to do with looking at it what the customer might want willing or will not you know, uh, sign up for, but also how do I make sure that uh, whatever I have in the bundle is in the best interest for me as well. Uh, if, there are no, if you know certain things that customers just don't get excited about paying for, probably need to put that in the bundle to make sure it gets done because um, they won't pay for it otherwise. So might as well put it in there. So I think determining what you put in there, um, whether it be you know, anything technically related um, 
whether it be anything uh, from making sure that you're helping them with the prescriptions you're providing. It was really about trying to make sure that you listen to the customer, provided enough options, but at the same time, balance that with simplicity. Customers don't want something that's overly complex. They, they don't have the time for it or they don't have the, the, the patience for it. So making sure you have the right balance is often about listening. So that was one of the first statements that was made, was making sure that you, to know with the bundle, you gotta listen to your customer. And there's probably not a one size fits all. There's anything from the a la carte we heard yesterday to, uh, to creating a bundle um, and, uh, and having options for people to, to look at. The other thing was making sure that you get ahead of it, um, of knowing that there are certain things that you want your customers to, to pay for, whether it be when they first buy uh, a piece of equipment from you, making sure that you have phone support and certain things that are always going to be mandatory that salesmen have to include um, and making sure you're smart with that. I heard, uh, heard some really good, good ideas of making sure that you get the salespeople involved. On the pricing side, as you can imagine, you had you know, flat fee to time of material to uh, just it was included and it just came with it. But interestingly, when we talked through what was going to be included, how much time do I spend with my customer up front? So, so much of what that looks like is setting the right expectation with the customer of what your initial um, bundled package is going to provide the customer and how much time. And you've got to make sure that you provide you know, the amount of, of time up front. Scheduling that, just like farmers, farmers are, you know, they have their spikes of labor needs. Make sure that uh, you don't outkick your coverage, uh, football term. Uh, make sure you don't offer a bunch of services and everybody needs it at the exact same time. Make sure that you figure out how to do that. Get ahead of that. Schedule it the best you can. And then kind of the, you know, wrapping everything up was really about, at the end of the day, how do you know whether or not this bundle, this package, this, uh, this pricing uh, worked? And you got to understand your costs. How do you track your costs? And technology seemed to be something that popped up a lot. How do I enable and leverage technology to be able to help me know what my costs are so I can go back and determine whether or not what I offered to my customer was a loss leader? and I can effectively know whether or not my pricing worked. Well, thank you to each of the moderators for sharing their takeaways and advice accumulated during their roundtable discussions. And those listeners who would like to see more coverage of the Summit Roundtables mentioned during today's program, please visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com. And I'd like to again recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. And if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes or the Google Play Store, to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And you can also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on September 6th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series. And be sure to mark your calendars for the 2018 Precision Farming Dealer Summit, again coming up on January 8th and 9th in Louisville. For the Summit Roundtable moderators, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Semlicka. Thanks for listening.